For those of you that don't know me, I'm Pat Donjon. I'm married to a gentleman by the name of John Donjon. We just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. Um, yeah, bring it on. <laughs> that, that really is a miracle. Uh, if you've ever heard me share about our past, it is quite a miracle that we uh, are married for 25 years. It is nothing but God and God alone. We have three children. Uh, our oldest is 22. I have an 18-year-old son that left for basic military training, so don't get me talking about that. I will break into tears. And I have a 16-year-old that is at home, uh, and she had band obligations today. Uh, she's really grateful she didn't have to listen to her mama speak. She <laughs> said, I'm kind of glad, Mom, I didn't have to go because I would really feel obligated to go to your class. I mean, it's not that you wouldn't have something valuable to say, but I really think like I hear it every day. <laughs> so I kind of think maybe she might be right. So soon we will be empty nesters, and um, that is a whole new chapter for me. And really what kind of prompted me into really um, talking about what I'm going to talk about today. As you can see, we've got tons of shoes in front of me. Some of these are my shoes. Some of these are not my shoes. Uh, if I had to point them out and say, what do you think is me? What do you think is not? I wonder sometimes how many people would come up for people who know me. It's like, oh, that looks like you. Do you ever say that about people? Oh, that looks like her. Oh, that looks like her. But before we begin any of that, if you have your Bibles or your phones, um, would you please turn to 1 Corinthians 12? And I actually need my Bible. I'm sorry, what was the verse again? 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. If you guys see me go down, it's because I tripped over one of these pairs of shoes. Please come and rescue me, because uh, I'm old and I could be down for a while. You know, I heard a guy say at my age, he was a little bit older than me, he said, at my age, when you get down on the ground, you stay there for a little bit and say, what can I do while I'm down here? <laughs> <laughs> Verse 4. Now these are the variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To you... To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Staying in that chapter, let's go to verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would, make it, would that make it any less part of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If we were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Um, when I started my Christian walk, 30 plus years ago, don't do the math, when I decided to become a Jesus seeker, a person that really helped me overcome that or kind of make the step toward that, her name was Cindy Savaglia. Cindy Savaglia was a Italian lady. She was young. She was vivacious. She was talented. Her parents were multimillionaires. And she, thank you, Jody. 
And she, I started going to the church. I would sneak into the church that I was uh, kind of interested in. It was called the Full Gospel Tabernacle Church. And I would sneak in on Sunday nights. And she began to see that I would sneak in after the worship, hear the message, and sneak out. Never talk to anybody. This was my way of checking out Christians. She met me one time, and she said, Hi, my name is Cindy, and uh, I don't think I know you. Well, there's a reason for that. I don't really want to know you. But she invited me over. Now, Cindy was vivacious, and I'm walking around in these gorgeous black heels. Don't you think they do something for me? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, right, Karen, right, absolutely. She was vivacious. She was one of these kind of, she taught me this. She said, we're going out this weekend, and we're going to go to this restaurant. At that time, I had just gotten done with college. I had bills out the wazoo. I had no money. And they're going to these places. I just, really? If it's not McDonald's or Burger King, I'm just really not very familiar with all of that. And she would invite me along. It took me a while to cross over that line because I felt like I just, eh, I'm not really a part of that. You know, I don't have money. She brought me to her million-dollar home that her parents had. And to say the least, I was a bit intimidated. It didn't last long. Because Cindy had such a love for Jesus, number one. And I detected that very, very quickly. And number two, she invited me into her home, into her life, into her family. Just, and and she, was, she taught me this, Mark. She would come up to me and she'd say, Pat, how you doing? I'm doing good. She'd walk back down and say, how you really do it. it made all the difference in the world. That coming back was, she really cares about me. <coughs> Down the road, Cindy introduced me to an older woman, of which I chuckled when I put this message together because that older woman was like the age that I am now. Oh, happy day. <laughs> that older woman's name was Barbara Gibbons. Barbara Givens was the pastor's wife, and she loved God. She had one son, and she had a house that was absolutely impeccable. Betsy, if you're watching me take these shoes on and off, I got a pedicure just for today. I want you guys to look at it. (laughs) But Barbara, you'd walk into her house any time, day or night, and everything was in place. Every laundry was done. The meal was cooked. She was amazing. I was a single gal, so that was very impressionable about me. I I didn't come from that type of home, and I'm thinking, wow, this, she is amazing. Clorox was her best friend. (laughs) (laughs) They had one kid by the name of Kip, and they could have no more babies. So they decided that they were going to adopt somebody, a little girl from Honduras. That experience for her quite a testimony. She went there to get this little girl back. Eight weeks later, they were still there fighting with the government, trying to arrest this little girl. Because of that incident in her life, she became a woman of passion for the underprivileged little babies in her home. I saw that in Barbara. That wasn't me. To this day, I clean my home a lot because of what Barbara instilled in my life. And my mom, I do have to say that, my mom is it. But I didn't have that same passion for babies, although 
it awoke in a sensitivity in me that I, I had never seen before. After I met Barbara, she introduced me to a young gal named Kim Petter. Kim Petter worked for the uh, phone company. And I always kid Kim. We became the very best of friends. She was in my wedding. And you would call Kim in the middle of the day. And she'd say, hello, thank you for calling Southwestern Bell. Can I help you? Hey, Kim, it's Pat. Oh, hi. How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you kind of get that kind of feeling sometimes like, um, Maybe people aren't really real with you, but Kim, she had a sister named Penny, and they called them the Petter Sisters. And when you got with Kim and Penny, Penny, if you didn't wet your pants because you laughed so hard, you were not engaging. <laughs> Even though not married, Kim loved children. She made me sign on the dotted line to help her in children's ministries, and that I did. We would get up early on Sunday mornings, and let me tell you, I am the best at, oh, you want to jump down, turn around, do the name of Jesus. I mean, we had song after song after song. It was there, I had started dating John, it was then I realized that I was going to marry this man, because John and I were dating for a while. He would mention the topic of marriage, of which I wasn't really that gun-ho about, really, and on years before, I had put on a list, even though I wasn't really sure I wanted to have children, that I thought it would probably be kind of a good thing if the guy that I married liked children and that he was good with children. So one Sunday, if you know anything about my husband, he's all about getting involved. And so he decided that he was going to help us with children. So I had to take the girls to the bathroom. He had to take the boys to the bathroom. I had the girls in the bathroom, out of the bathroom, sitting in the seat, and I am still waiting for John Donjon to get the boys out of the bathroom. <laughs> what are we doing in there? All of a sudden, here come the boys filing out, and they're just laughing and giggling. That Mr. John, he is so funny. Really? What did he do? He's playing Bert and Ernie. Bert and Ernie? Yeah. He says, hey, Bert, why don't you shoot it from over here? (laughs) (laughs) Sit down. Just sit down. But I knew at that moment in time, I knew that that was the man that I wanted to marry. But I wore those shoes for a long time doing the uh, children's thing. Kim and I were a part of a church. That church closed its doors, very sad to say, and we parted our ways. I began to work out of Christian school, and I met this lady by the name of Rita Winkler. Now, Rita Winkler was of genius IQ level, and I'm not kidding you. She introduced me to the things of the Spirit. I had been a Christian for a little bit, and she introduced me to the things of the Spirit, like the different giftings and things like that. And... um, she began to challenge me into memorizing the Bible. She'd say, you know what? The brain is a muscle, and you need to exercise it. I'd say, yeah, well, whatever. I'm not much into exercise, beginning with my brain. <laughs> we actually, she, we went through the book of James, and we actually memorized the whole book of James. Now, I'm not saying that because I'm so smart. I'm saying that because that's how, as a friend, she began to impart that into my life, the, the importance of the word, the importance of, of using what God has given you. And so Rita and I hung out for a long time. She actually was the best lady in my 
what do you call that? The matron of honor in my, is that what you call them? Yeah. yeah. In my wedding. Rita introduced me to uh, a lady that went around the world. Her name at that time was Marilyn Hickey. If you're, uh, I don't know, if you're 30 and younger, you don't know that name, but she was quite an amazing lady. Uh, she's one that I always tell the joke about how she, she was very petite and little, and she was traveling uh, one day, and she found, uh, had a little time and went shopping. And so she bought this coat, and she got home, and she's speaking to ladies, and she said, and guess what my husband said? And the whole lady off and said, do you know what their husband said? Huh? How much did it cost? Right. <laughs> and she's, but it looks so good. And da, da, da. He, she said, Marilyn, how much did it cost? And she finally told him, he goes, oh, my gosh. I cannot believe that you didn't say, Satan, get me behind me. She said, I did. And he said, it looks great from back here, too. <laughs> so Marilyn, I would listen to Marilyn like you guys are listening to me. Every time I had an opportunity to see her on TV, to... And she just began to break down the word um, in, in pieces that I could literally walk away from and apply to my life. And it, it really began just a real yearning and wanting to be changed in the power of God. There were times when I went up for prayer that I would literally say, I would like prayer to be just like Marilyn. Now, how many know that that ain't going to happen? Nancy said today, there is nothing wrong with following women of God as they follow Christ, but we don't want clones. And so that's why we're here today, too. We want to understand where do I fit in the body of Christ. After I met Marilyn, <laughs> virtual Marilyn, never really met her hand to hand, we started going to what that time was called uh, Christian Fellowship of Brentwood. We actually had a, a home-based church in Columbia, Missouri, and some of the people came out and started something here in St. Louis. So I am really ancient. I'm as old as dirt. I have been here since there was, before it was even called Jubilee. I'll never forget, Trish, one day your husband Dan came up to me, and there was three people standing there, and Dan said, so have you been coming to the church a while? And this person said, yeah, we've been coming for about 18 months. And then well, how long have you been coming? Oh, we've been here for about four or five years. I'm like, dear Jesus, don't ask me. <laughs> he said, and how long have you been coming? Forever. I, I just don't know how else to say that. We've, we've been here forever. He goes, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so after that, we started. And through that, becoming a part of that, I met Linda Lamferman. Now, Linda Lamferman gave me a whole new view of Christian women. Up until that point, I just really felt like Christian women really probably needed to wear shirts up to here, their skirts below their knees. And really, I didn't believe in no makeup, but minimal would do. But then came Linda. <laughs> Linda is all that and then some. She was a class act. She had style, and yes, ladies, she was sexy. And when the first time I met her, I'll never forget it. She had like this Hawaiian dress on, and I'm like, who is that? She must have just gotten saved yesterday <laughs> because, of, because of the style. 
Linda imparted to me a whole new arena that I, of femininity. I had never, I had never ever experienced that, how to be feminine, enjoying how God made me without being provocative or feeling dirty. She taught me that, all of that. Linda, the Jubilee, it was now called Jubilee, uh, Linda introduced me, Rick and Gail Hine came on board. I don't know if you know Gail, for those of you that are out. Um, Gail, at that time when I met her, she had two boys, still has two boys, and they were at home, and she was actually a stay-at-home mom. The first time that I met Gail, I was so impressed with her very peaceful, quiet demeanor. I mean, I, I, and as I get to know her, I would like to get her riled up. The only time that you can get her riled up is if you play games with her. That's about the only time you can get her riled up. And what does that count in the kingdom of God? I mean, hello. <laughs> Are you real? But she had, and I know she had struggles. It's not that she, she didn't convey that. It wasn't that she put up a plastic front. It wasn't any of that. But she was a woman that just had this kind, and I would say to John when we would get in conflicts, because if you know me a little bit, I get excited easily. And I get bent out of shape way too quickly and there were times when I would get so frustrated with myself and I would cry and I'd say if I could have a lumbotomy I would so I could be like Linda or uh, Gail but that that's not how God made me but that's really how I felt after Gail Jubilee decided to do a um, project Jody you can relate to this do a project called the Trilogy Project. We were one of the first people um, to do that. Um, Marlene Poe was signed up to cook on that. And that Trilogy Project, right Donna, was where we brought in people uh, that New Frontiers, if, if you're not familiar, uh, were part of a body of churches called New Frontiers. And we brought in pastors and lead elders from um, across the Midwest, basically. And they came in once every eight years, uh, eight uh, weeks, and we cooked for them. They stayed Friday night at a sem uh, semi seminary, and we made breakfast, lunch, and dinner for them on Saturday. And we cooked on Sunday for them. When you are in a kitchen with a lady over 12 hours, you learn a lot about a lot. She signed me on the dotted line to help her. I wasn't that great of a cook, so I said, you know what, this has got to be a good thing. I learned a lot during those weekends in the three years, and I, Jody and Donna uh, both can attest to that, that I learned a lot about Marlene. I learned a lot about cooking, but I really learned a lot about myself and God in that whole process. So Marlene was married to a guy named Sam. I know you guys are saying, really? Are you coming to an end here pretty soon? <laughs> Sam is very prophetic. And he gave John and I a word one time that said that God wanted to use us in the gift of hospitality. Are you kidding me? <laughs> really? My idea of hospitality was Martha Stewart. Are you kidding me? I got to have my house impeccable. The meal has to be stunning and my kids have to be well-behaved. Well, if I get two out of three, it's a good day. 
But the probability of that happening is, mm, I'm not sure. So I got all these women in my life that I really, I, I oh, I should, maybe I could, I could be just like, how could I, could, when I realized a lot of times, especially uh, coming later into the, um, being with Marlene and being a seasoned Christian for a little bit, I would come home many days and cry because Marlene would have given me a task to do and I, I knew it just wasn't as good as she would have done it. She never said it. She never even indicated but it was my insecurity. And so I would walk away and John would finally say to me, Pat, you need just to quit this. The reality factor is God was pulling something out of me through Marlene and I could have walked away from it. Very quickly, my past is such that I am one of nine. <coughs> I am the oldest girl. I have two older brothers. Uh, because of all those mouths to feed, my mom and dad uh, never, ever, ever did we have to worry about food. Never, ever, ever did you have to worry about the light bill going off, the utilities and shut, shut off. But you can imagine that there was very little time for one-on-one. -on -one. So when I grew up, when I left the house, it wasn't that I was abused or neglected, but I never felt special. I never felt like, oh, she was the great softball player. My sister was. She was a great softball player. I never ran track. My brother did. He was a great track runner. Never had any artistic ability. My other sister did. She sewed clothes like there was no tomorrow. But I was just average. I took that away as an adult when I left the home. I'm not a loser, but I'm not exceptional. I have these little boring sandals on here because that's exactly how I feel. They're comfy. They're not atrocious. They're kind of boring. Like when you off my outfit, would you walk out and say, A, either you wouldn't have noticed the shoes that I'm wearing, B, you might say, those shoes did not match her outfit. <laughs> or C, she must have worn it for comfort because of her age. <laughs> I was a B student. I wasn't a flunky. I wasn't exceptional. I actually did not miss one day of school from my first grade to my 12th grade, wow. except for one. It was my eighth grade year. It was the last day of school. My grandpa died, and I had to go to his funeral. Now you say, wow, but that's really some issues. Because I found out later, I was so fearful that I was going to miss something. That I was, that, that what was going to be taught that day was going to wreck my entire life. Well, when you transfer that into, that keeps growing and growing and growing, that kind of becomes a control issue after a while. God is not into control issues, and that's very painful to yank that kind of stuff out. I also, being of the past here, I also, I have to really think about my notes here. I'm like losing track. I um, was raised in a German home. My mom and dad both of German descent. So if you know anything about Germans, they work hard, they work a lot, and it is priority. My dad used to say, the later you come home, the earlier we get you up. So when I left home, 
that was just ingrained in me. I just thought everybody worked like that. Everybody had a work ethic like that. And I, I had working boots on all the time. I felt guilty when somebody asked me to go to a movie. I never owned a TV until I met John. I didn't have time for it. Who has time for TV? Work was, I never, and because of that, there was just never any time to dream. There was never any time. I wasn't the type of girl that laid out at the beach and looked up at the clouds moving. Are you kidding me? The windows should be washed. I wasn't the type of girl that would lay out at night. We had a trampoline at our house and look up at the stars. I didn't have enough energy. I was dog tired. Is that a bad thing? No, that's where God put me. But there are things that the enemy wants to take in my upbringing that he wants to use against me. But all of that culminated into a young lady who was a bit confused about really what her role in life was, uh, put on that with how she was reared. And I was like a little rat on a little wheel. I went through thyroid surgery because I blew my thyroid kaplui. And for five days, I couldn't talk. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. In those five days, I began to do some very, very serious, serious soul searching. Now, at this point, I already have three of my kids. I have been married for at least 17 years. So it's not like this hasn't been a long lifetime thing. And so I began to ask myself, what makes Pat Donjon tick? It's really hard to answer that question by yourself when you haven't been a dreamer, when you only think you've been an average student. And I... One of the questions I kept asking myself, and I ask this question a lot to people, what do you hope that they write on your epitaph? Were they, were they going to write on my epitaph? I wish she would have worked more. Were they were going to write on my epitaph? She was the best average person I've ever met. Oxymoron right there. What was they going to do? And so because of that, I would like for you to turn to, if you have your Bibles, to turn to Ephesians. Actually, before you get there, would you turn to Proverbs? Proverbs 4. Verse 18. Everybody there? It says there, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. That passage, when I came across it, really began to speak to me. God wasn't so concerned about actually what I was doing or where I needed to be planted. Actually, he was more concerned about the pathway that I was on. That was great freedom to me. So once I established that, I came to the scripture one day in Ephesians 2.10. I'm going to be like Nancy. You don't have to turn there. Just write it down and look it up later. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There you go. End of story, right? 
I'm on the right path. God tells me he has works for me. He's predestined them. If I'm on the right path, it'll go brighter and brighter. It'll just be smooth sailing. Walk out in the sunset, everything's well. Well, there's just a couple of little drawbacks in my life. A, fear. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Fear does five things that I figured out. It's a thief. It steals your peace. It hijacks your relationships. It gives you a fragile sense of insecurity. And it isolates you. In 1985, they gave out a survey and they asked the question, how many confidants do you have? How many people, how many go-to people do you have that you feel you could confide in? The most common response was three, 1985. 2004, they did that same survey, asked the same question. Anybody want to guess what the answer might have been? One. Very good, Celeste. Zero. We are in a society that is very, very independent. And because of that, because I think a lot of that has to do with fear. <laughs> when these shoes that I have on now, I love these shoes. I think I look great in these shoes. These aren't my shoes. These shoes I bought for my oldest daughter, Chelsea, when she went to the prom. One Saturday, after I got off work, she met me in Illinois where I was working, and we went prom dress shopping. She bought the cutest fuchsia-colored dress in the whole wide world, and she looked like a million bucks. We were going to go to another store to buy shoes, except that Chelsea rear-ended me, and that ended everything for that day. <laughs> when you get rear-ended by your daughter, and she says, do we need to call the insurance? Uh, well, we have the same people, so... <laughs> kind of a wash, you know what I mean? <laughs> so on Monday, we went, uh, not we, she was in school, I, I didn't trust her to follow me anymore. Um, <laughs> we were in, I, I went to the mall because uh, prom was next weekend, and I saw these shoes, and I thought, oh, these are perfect. These are perfect. But, because they're a teenager, you can't bring them home and buy them. You have to let them believe it was their idea. So we went, I said, hey, I kind of thought maybe you might like these shoes. She saw them, she loved them, we bought them. When Mike and Chelsea Caesar got married, as all women do, I had to find a dress. So I didn't have time to shop. I'm going through my closet. I find this black dress, has a little silver in it. Chelsea happens to be home, and I say, Chelsea, I don't have any shoes to wear with this. She's like, oh, where are my silver ones? So she brings them up, I try them on, and I'm like, uh, no, no, uh, no. Well, what's wrong with them, Mom? Well, A, look how high they are. I can't even walk in these. B, I know that's hard for you guys to believe, especially you short people out there that are walking around in heels like this. Those are death. I have death written all <laughs> over there for me. <laughs> B, they, they're like, they show so much of my foot. I mean, my foot is like naked. <laughs> And it makes me taller than my husband. Yeah. <laughs> and that makes me feel very insecure. Mom, you need to get over that. The shoes look great, wear them. So I did. Not only did I wear them, Betsy, I danced in them. 
they now have become a shoe I'm very comfortable in. Why do I say all that? Because I feel like sometimes there's people that when they're on their journey, there are shoes not only do you have to take off, but there are other shoes that you have to put on. And sometimes those shoes that you put on, they are not comfortable. Not at all. Because of fear, we just don't want to do that. I'm afraid I'll fail. I'm afraid I'll fall. I'm afraid I'll tower over John and she'll think, what is she? She's just all that. No, I'm not. When we were in Kenya, Africa, my daughter Sophia was five years old, and we took a safari. My brother lived there with his three children, and we had the opportunity to go with my three children. A dream of mine came true. It was a blessing of God. And uh, we were on safari. If you've ever been on safari, anyone? Uh-huh. And in the safari, Martha, do they have the vehicles where they just like they just had loops? It wasn't a full like covering. Is that what you experience as well, Karen? So we're driving along, and um, these uh, herd, is it herd of elephants? Is that what you say? Herd of elephants were charging. And they were charging right toward our two vans. And my brother was driving one, so him and his quick maneuvering ability got out of the way. But my sister-in-law, Carolyn, and my two, <laughs> two of my kids and one of hers were back and were face-to-face with an elephant that is trumpeteering. I mean, this is not good. My kids are going to die. My, we stood there for a while trying to figure out what to do, and my Sophia, five years old, thumb in mouth, twirling her little hair, <laughs> says, I think we just need to face our fears and go on. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Well, that has come back to her on more than one occasion, but that rings in my ear. It was a God moment, and, and, and I, have, I have said that to myself. I need to face my fears, and I need to go on. What Nancy said today about having your identity in Jesus dissolves a lot of that fear. It is so crucial. Another reason why we don't think, I think, is because of non-acceptance. We're afraid that if we start maybe doing the things that God called us to do or things that we're passionate about, that people maybe won't accept us. Jody, why are you looking at me like that? Jody's looking at me like, I have no clue to what you're talking about. <laughs> okay, it's just me. <laughs> Two and a half years ago, uh, Jubilee came to me and asked me if I would start working part-time at the church. <clears throat> Brian's talking to me. At that time, I was working at the Omni Hotel, and my hours were very crappy. I loved the job because it was a people job. I like people jobs, but I was missing my son's water polo games and his swim meets, as well as some of my daughters. And my oldest daughter was already out of the house, so it was like Nancy said today, life is but a vapor, and it goes so quickly. And I was just pining the fact that I could not get to all these swim meets because I had to work. So this, I started praying for a different job. What was he praying for? So they come to me and they ask me, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'll, I'll think about it. In my mind, I'm like, no way. <laughs> I am not working for Jubilee. John and I, as all right married couples should do, you should engage and talk about this. And he's like, I think this is an answer to prayer. Really? I don't. I don't want it. Well, why not? It, you wouldn't have to work really any weekend nights. You could almost go to, yeah, no, I don't think it's God. Well, why not? I couldn't have articulated to you at that moment in time 
But as I began to pray and sit before God and tried to be obedient, the fact of the matter was I was afraid I was not going to be accepted. Now that's very sad when you're walking into a Christian community and you don't think that you're going to be accepted. But I was sure when they found out that I had no computer skills, mm -hmm. that I was illiterate when it came to anything techni, that they were not going to accept me. They were going to confirm she's of another generation. She is not of this world. <laughs> it, and I heard my daughter's voice. I think you need to face your fears and go on. So I took that job. Hands in the air, I said, I just want to let you know, I know nothing about a computer, no problem. I know nothing about even the iPhones. I, I know, I know, no, how do you work this coffee machine? I mean, do you just press the button? What do, what do you do? I work with three gals that absolutely have been accepting of me. The quality that they have uh, in the work, it's been a joy. And I almost missed out on all that because I was so afraid I was not going to be accepted. I think the third area why we don't do what we do because there's areas in our heart that are not healed. I call them retarded areas of our heart. For some reason or another, that part of our heart never got healed. Now ask me how I know this. I've read a lot of books about a lot of people. I know this because I experience it on a daily basis. My daughter lives in St. Joe, Missouri, and I think I was telling one of the gals uh, last night. She calls home. She has a mentor. She's involved with the church that we have there called Living Hope. And um, she has a mentor named Brenda Marks. I know Brenda Marks. Many of you probably know her children. Uh, and uh, she's just a great gal. <coughs> Chelsea calls me up. Mom, Brenda and I met today. We're going over this book. It talks about pride. Oh, my gosh, Mom. It is just, it's just amazing. So, and she said this, and then she said that. And she said, okay. We hang up the phone, and tears just start coming down my face. Okay, I know I'm old. I'm not pregnant. Why am I crying? <laughs> Why? Am, you know, women cry. Men get angry. But why am I crying? And in a moment of time, the Holy Spirit said, because you feel you've been pushed out of your daughter's life and that there is, you're not important, you're not significant. When Nancy is telling you your identity is in Jesus, I have a few more of those things behind me than she does. I know that is nothing but the truth. My identity is not in how much advice or counsel my daughter needs from me. My identity is in Jesus. I hope she asks me for advice. We do have a good relationship, but it hurt my heart. That's a part of my heart I have not identified with Jesus. Does that make sense to you? Yes. <laughs> now, I'm not advocating that you guys need to become real introspectively here and like, oh my gosh, what are all my problems? I don't, I don't believe that. But I feel that the cry that we've heard last night and again this morning is that for freedom. <coughs> I actually had a picture last night of, you know how um, when you go to the store, you buy stuff and then you get a receipt. And if you're a wise person, you hang on to that receipt. <laughs> you do not throw it away. 
And I just saw me at JCPenney's, because I love JCPenney's, and I saw me with a receipt in my hand. I was handing it to the clerk, and I said, this is faulty material. It doesn't work. And the lady said, do you have your receipt? Yes, I do. <laughs> and I felt like the Lord said, you know, I, that, that is when you come to me, I'm that clerk. And he said, this is faulty material. That's me. I'm faulty material. Do you have your receipt? Yeah, it's called three, John 3.16. For God gave his beloved son. That's my receipt. Paid in full. Go ahead, get new merchandise. Go ahead, be a new you. Go ahead, dare to dream. Go ahead, start operating in the gifts that God has for you. So very quickly, I want to give you uh, not some homework, but I want to have you write down on um, a sheet, if you can, or put it in your iPhone. And I want you to spell the word come. But I want you to do it vertically. Does that make sense? This is horizontally, this is vertically. And come is spelled C-O-M-E. Um, if you like me, when people tell you to do that, then you're like, how do you spell come? Or, would she? <coughs> I felt like God wanted us to maybe walk away with this. And the first thing for come is, for C, is to consider. I want you guys to consider people who have made deposits into your life, godly traits that you have walked away with. Because those deposits are significant. Because pro uh, yeah, Proverbs 4.18 tells me that as I walk on this path, it becomes brighter and brighter and brighter. Cindy Savalia, the very first person I met, taught me a whole lot about hospitality. A whole lot about hospitality. The next one, O, is for open. I would like for you guys to open your hearts to God's healing to God's Holy Spirit, and to others. If you've been around Jubilee any length of time, you have heard us mention community. It is a high priority here. That is when I shared with all these people. Those were in the community that I was in at that time. And they, they shaped my life. M, I want you to meditate on what gives you life. What is your sense of, yes. My end desire here, I hope to, in a couple of years, open up a bed and breakfast. That is my desire. I've checked it out with my husband. He's good with that. I'm checking it out with God. I'm thinking he's good with that. My whole point of a bed and breakfast is because I want to take people who have had uh, not only just to come in and have a refreshing time, but I want to take people that have had a hard season in life. And I want them to be able to come in and to be refreshed, not only physically. I want them to be nourished, nourished emotionally and spiritually. That is my desire. Now, when I look at past about all those people that in my Cindy taught me hospitality, maybe these people have children and babies. Maybe they've lost children and babies. Marlene told me how to cook. Gail said, stay calm. 
You, you see that they just all made significant input into my life. And there are many that I have not mentioned. I am continually impacted with the younger sector in our Jubilee Church who really sacrifice, and I watch them run with passion. I'm always impressed by so many of the married couples now. They go down in one car. Never in my 25 years have our family ever been out two vehicles. But I see it all the time. No can't afford it. They work it out. They arrange it. And I'm like, that's impressive. I'm inspired by that. E, consider, open, meditate, evaluate. Evaluate the shoes that you're wearing. We started teaching uh, children's church here at Jubilee. Uh, we taught almost for 20 years. One Sunday, my husband came home and he said, we need to give this up. What? No. I don't, I don't really think we need to give it up. And he said, well, I think you need to pray about it. We prayed about it. Sure enough, God really began to talk to me about not doing that anymore. At that point in time, I had to take off those shoes. And God had another pair of shoes for me to wear, but I really didn't know what it was. So I felt like for a long time I was walking around barefoot. When you walk around barefoot, things get a little tender. You walk on rocks, you're sensitive to hot. Have you ever stood on hot, uh, what do you call that, blacktop? Yeah, asphalt? (laughs) You're not standing, you're hopping. I had to meditate on what new thing. God was asking me to take off one pair of shoes, but he had another pair of shoes for me prepared. It took a little while before I slipped into those. I, this morning while I was praying, and I'm going to end with this, these are the shoes I wear now. My little jewel sandals. This is me. When I saw these, now if you'd have asked me 20 years ago to buy these things, I would have said they're way too flashy. But I love these sandals. They got an arch support for old ladies like me. They got a little bit of bling bling going on. They're low to the ground. And they got a lot of comfort. These are me. Did I find them in the first store? Nope. I had to walk around a while to find it. And I feel like that that's what God would say sometimes. You don't become so introverted. Oh my gosh, what should I do? No. Consider, open your hearts up, meditate, and evaluate. And then just keep walking. Just because I didn't find the shoes at the first store, I didn't quit. I want you to turn to this verse and we'll end here. Thank you all, by the way, for coming. (laughs) I'm always kind of like, really? You really want to hear me speak? I know there was only four options, so you had to pick one. But thank you very much. (laughs) 1 Corinthians 4, verse 20. The Bible says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of of talk. Can anybody finish that? But of power. I felt like God would say to you, 
you are hearing a lot of great stuff. There is a whole lot of talking going on. But he wants to do more than that. He wants to display his kingdom in power. When you have an opportunity to go up and get prayer, I, I, I would just go. It's the slightest little thing because I believe that God wants you to bring you through in power, things that you're unsure of, maybe, maybe places God has for you that you feel totally unqualified. I never felt qualified as a mom. I still don't feel qualified as a mom. Young mothers come to me all the time and they say, we need your advice. I'm not real sure to tell you what to do, but I can tell you this. I can tell you what not to do. I don't ever feel qualified as a mom, but I know that's what God's called me to. Therefore, in my weakness, he's made strong. That is my motto. If I die, and I haven't, oh, when I die, I want you to put on my epithet, in her weaknesses, God was made strong. That's what God's desiring for you. When you walk in your gifting, when you walk in your pretty shoes, maybe they're not pretty shoes. Maybe they're shoes like this. I had to clean the toilets, a whole lot of toilets, before I got jewels. And I continued to clean toilets. I hate these shoes. They're ugly. They are but ugly. <laughs> but I run in them. And they are good for me to run in. Because that's what I'm doing for that season. So sometimes the shoes that you wear aren't so glamorous, like my beautiful jewel shoes. Ladies, let us walk in freedom. Let us walk in your giftings, because Ephesians says he has created good works for you to do. If there wasn't a Cindy in my life, I may not be where I'm at today. If there wasn't a Kim or, or a Gail or a sexy Linda, I may not be where I am today. God has good works for you to contribute to the body. All right?